Broadcasting from the Wella offices, direct from the Atlanta Tech Village, you're listening to The Incubator, the voice of the Atlanta Tech startup scene. The Incubator is a show featuring weekly interviews with Atlanta-based startup founders, influencers, and entrepreneurs, who they are, what drives them, and how they plan to change the world. Today's show is made possible by Wella, helping you on your financial journey every step of the way. And now, here are your hosts, Trisha Whitlock and Todd Schnick. All right. Good morning and welcome back to The Incubator. I'm your host, Todd Schnick, joined by my friend and colleague, Ashley Staggs. Ashley, we're a couple weeks into your tenure as a co-host on this show. What do you think so far? Yeah, I'm loving it. I'm hoping I'm living up to Trisha's legacy. Who? Uh, Trisha, sorry. I don't, oh, yeah. who, I don't remember who we're talking about. <laughs> That's all I need to clarify. You know, Trisha Whitlock? No, oh, nothing. Yeah, um, her, yeah her. but it's it's going great. I'm excited. I feel like I'm getting in the flow now. Yeah, well, you've been in the flow. You're smarter than me. So uh, before long, <laughs> you're going to lead a coup and have Roger, me, have me kicked down to this thing. So, <laughs> all right. Well, we have a fun conversation today. Yeah. Uh, looking forward to this uh, very, very important subject matter. We're joined this morning by Brooke Beach. She is the CEO of Kevy. Brooke, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here today. Well, we're thrilled to have you. Thanks yeah. for making time. I know you're very, very busy and I appreciate uh, you uh, carving out a few moments to join us. Uh, so lots to talk about, lots of interesting things to talk about uh, that uh, Ashley and I are really, really interested in. And it's so critical and it's the future of business, in my opinion. So before we do that, though, take a few quick seconds and inform the audience a bit about you and your background. I graduated from the University of Georgia. Uh, I have a long background of marketing. I love marketing, every single aspect of it, all the good, bad, and the ugly. Uh, so right after college, I decided yeah, I'm from Atlanta, um, went to University of Georgia, so kind of stayed in the hometown and decided I needed to spread my wings a little bit, get out. Uh, I ended up going to California where I worked for a company and I traveled for 32 weeks a year. I uh, know it was, <laughs> it was exhausting. It was a blast. I mean, I got to see everything. It was all um, within the U.S. So everything from New York City to... Uh, Santa Fe, New Mexico, and everywhere in between. Um, so got to see a lot of awesome people, a lot of great places. But at the end of the day, it's a little lonely. And mm-hmm. so at a certain point, you say this is fun and exciting, but my home is not in a hotel. Yeah. Um, I remember going at one point, and you eat out all the time <sighs> because yeah. there's no option. Right. Uh, you can snack all you want, but I mean, you're you're eating out three meals a day. And so I was I was so tired of eating out. I was just like, I need I need to feel like home. So I went to the Hyatt place, and it was an amazing restaurant, and they came to get the order and everyone's ordering drinks and really nice meals. And I said, ma'am, I, I would like some peanut butter toast and a glass of milk. <laughs> and she looked at me like it was the strangest request she'd ever heard in her entire life. Like I just asked for frog legs or something like that. And she brought me out peanut butter toast and a glass of milk. <laughs> there you go. And that was my sign. I needed to go home. Yep. That was the that was the call to uh, to change the life. So, uh, yep. well, you did so in uh, Kevy. So give us the, the 10,000 foot view of Kevy, what you do, how you serve your market. Yeah, absolutely. So um, love Kevy. We are a marketing automation company uh, in and one of the things that we realized when we got started was um, there is a mass movement of people who are starting to sell online. I say start starting to because it, everyone kind of assumes that everyone's already doing that. But I think that there's going to be a big movement and push towards more of that soon. There was a gap in the market, though. For the most part, marketing automation was a B2B uh, tool and email marketing was for B2C. So we decided to fill that gap. And so we're marketing automation for e-commerce companies. Awesome. Awesome. So I, I just have to say, like I love e-commerce. It's my jam. <laughs> 
I love what I do now, but e-commerce is just one of those things that is is always so fun. So how do you, how did you take that? You see it in B2B. Mm-hmm. So how does that translate to B2C? I mean, is it only email marketing or does it go beyond that? That's a great question. And that's something that we get asked pretty frequently. Uh, you know, what is the scope of it? What does it look like? Because for the right. most part, you say B2B is um, marketing automation and then email marketing is the B2C tool and online retailers use email marketing. Um, But that's just one piece of it. And it really only scrapes the surface, the surface of what we're doing. So email is a huge piece of it. And uh, it actually, email is the number one revenue driver for online retailers today. It actually is more lucrative than social and SEO combined. Uh, So email is still a massive piece of the revenue, Um, but it doesn't necessarily show the revenue. So for instance, if you're looking at, you know, very traditional email marketing tools, they're going to show you open rates and click rates. All good, but... useless, frankly. Yeah. Their vanity metrics at the end of the day, if they don't show you the revenue that's actually tied to it. So how many orders are you actually getting and how many people who are clicking through are placing an order and is that message actually working? And the only way to know that message is actually working is by looking at the revenue. Um, So that's what we're doing. We're tying that closed loop to the emails being sent uh, to the revenue that's being brought in. This idea of of email being a significant driver of revenue versus social and SEO, which frankly, I love hearing that because mm-hmm. I've long believed that. And even though there's plenty of people that say, oh, you got to be on Twitter, you got to be, on, you do. You do. But it's the, the notion of, oh, email is going away. It's not. It's not. What's, what's the trend there? Is, is that only going to continue? Is it going to get, is it going to get even stronger? Particularly when an organization uses Kevy and begins to understand the real power, what's really happening there. Is that going to increase adoption and enthusiasm once the people better understand the data they're getting? Uh, yes. And here's why I think what we're going to find is that email is now going to be a piece of a much larger full-scale marketing initiative. Uh, not everything is going to, you're not going to put all your eggs in the one basket, but it's still going to drive the majority of your revenue and opens. Uh, so for instance, we have a platform that allows you to send emails through, but it's combined with things like pop-up offers and abandoned cart recovery and a, a ton of other tools that people can use in conjunction with email. But I think the trend is to get a lot more personal and we're going to start seeing these one-to-one emails, but they're going to be automated. And so that sounds kind of an oxymoron. They're one-to-one, but they're automated. How can that be? Uh, so it's going to be based on this combination of order data and behavior data. So for the most part in the past, you can see the order data. You can see the history of the customer has spent this. They're probably more interested in women's clothes than they are men's clothes. So let's send them this type of offer. That's personally personalized to a degree, but they're still missing their online behaviors. When you combine those online behaviors with their past purchase history, you get a view of the customer that's never before been possible. And that's what we're doing, which is really exciting to see the full picture, the 360 60 degree view of the customer, um, but it's automated. So you can say, hey, this customer is looking at this product five, six, seven times. They probably want it. They might need a little extra incentive to go ahead and purchase it. So automatically, an email is going to be sent just based on their browse behaviors. Mm-hmm. So what can they do with that? Um, you know, and what other kind of behaviors are you looking at? I know consumers more and more, we want the message to be specific to us, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, some people feel certain ways about, but that's sometimes it's the, creepy. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's hard hard to go right at them, but uh, what kind of behaviors are you looking for? And, you know, what are retailers using that information for? How are they responding to that information? It is, it is from a consumer standpoint, it's shocking when you realize how much of your information is actually being captured, especially your browse behaviors of, um, oh, they know that I looked at this 
product for X period of time. But for the the seller, the online retailer, that's gold because it's not, you're not trying to invade that person's privacy. You're trying to understand how they're using your site and how they're interacting with your products. Um, because at the end of the day, I as a consumer, I don't want to receive emails and messages of things that don't pertain to me. I don't even want to see commercials that don't pertain to me online yep. uh, or while I'm watching TV. So why would we expect the same for email? Uh, so when consumers realize, hey, I'm not going to be wasting my own time and my own inbox, the more they know actually is better for me as a consumer. What are the biggest mistakes that organizations that say they're doing this marketing automation thing? Mm. I think part of the problem too is that you ask 10 people the definition of what that really is, you get 10 different answers, I think. Every time. So I would be curious, one, to know what your definition of, mm-hmm. of uh, marketing or e-commerce and marketing automation is. But then uh, what, what are the key things people are getting wrong there? The key things I think people are getting wrong is that uh, they're considering automation to be a strategy in a box. And it's not. Uh, so we provide an amazing platform, an amazing tool. But at the end of the day, you don't press a button and it starts working. You have to have strategy behind how you're utilizing these tools. So we try to help a lot in-house, especially with our onboarding of, hey, these are best practices. This is how you're supposed to use it. But automated is far from automated when you're talking about actually getting it set up. And once it starts running and you have a powerful strategy behind it that's driving your marketing in- initiatives across the board, it is w- going to be your most valuable asset. But if you expect it to just run as soon as you you click go, it's not going to do that. So what does your ideal customer look like? Are we talking like little bitty Etsy sellers? Are we mm-hmm. talking huge corporations with big brands? What does that look like? More mid-market to enterprise. Okay. Uh, and again, if you ask someone what enterprise means, you're probably going to get 10 different answers. Yep. <laughs> uh, so we are very aware of that. But more mid-market. And one of the trends that we're seeing, which is very fascinating to me, is this movement away from third-party marketplaces. So we're seeing places like Amazon and eBay, they're starting to increase their fees uh, and undercut their own merchants. So if you're doing really well selling yoga mats, um, if maybe someone like Amazon sees that, then they're going to say, great, we're going to sell yoga mats, but we're going to put it on Prime. And all of a sudden, these merchants are kind of stuck because they that's the only place that they were selling. We're seeing a mass movement to for online retailers to start creating a proprietary store. So we're helping them not only with their marketing, but we're helping guide them as they're looking for different e-commerce platforms that they can begin to sell on. Um, so I think that we're going to see another boom in online retail uh, away, in some cases, from third-party marketplaces. Well, that's interesting. I uh, because I, I feel like there's a segment of the marketplace that is only now finally feeling comfortable buying from an Amazon, and, and they're adjusting their other behaviors. I mean, I, it's my personal goal, by the mm-hmm. way, to never ever step foot in a mall ever again. <laughs> so, I don't think you're alone there, sir. I, I like the idea. I like the idea of being able to get what I need online. Right now, I'm. It's very easy to get virtually everything I need from Amazon, but yeah. So this idea of moving to away from these third party to a proprietary is exciting. How does that? Is that because it's also scary because you didn't have to build your own or build a brand. Yeah. Talk about the challenges there and, and how you help your, your customers do that. There are a lot of challenges and I don't think that we're going to see necessarily a decrease in the third-party marketplaces, sure, sure, but I, I think we're going to see a movement of having both. So where a lot of merchants sell only on Amazon, they're going to start selling on Amazon plus their own store. They have more control over it and they're going to have higher margins because they're not actually paying for those fees. But it's hard because the security of selling on a third-party marketplace is their marketing. You can't generate that kind of traffic yourself. That's what they're telling them themselves right. of, 
you know, I don't know if I can bring this kind of traffic to my site. If I'm going to start from scratch, how am I going to do that? So Kevy's goal is to come alongside them and say, we'll help you along this way. We're going to help drive traffic. We're going to help you retain. And really marketing at that level can be split into two buckets. One is acquisition of how are you getting people on to your site? And then the retention of what are you doing with them once they're there? How are you engaging with them and starting a dialogue and creating some type of brand loyalty? Because brand loyalty is something that does not exist when you're shopping on a third-party marketplace, you're, you're price hunting, period. Yep. You know you don't care who you get it from or where it's coming from as long as it's the lowest price with the li- less amount of shipping, yep. right. then that's who you're going with. But when you start shopping on a proprietary store, you get to know the retailer, you get to know the seller, you get to know that brand and there's more loyalty there. So honestly, long-term for the online retailer, it's more beneficial and lucrative. Yeah, the long-term is the relationship that you form there that you don't have to go through that third party. And that's, mm-hmm. and that's where I think if a customer of yours or a potential customer of yours begins to understand that, boom, that's where this thing gets very, very exciting. Right. All right. Brooke, Ashley, and I will return after this short break. We'll be right back. This is Wes Moss, former host of Atlanta Tech Edge on NBC in Atlanta. I'm here today, though, to talk to you about my new digital financial advisory firm, Wella. Wella is an old English word that means wealth. Several years ago, my team realized there were too many people who needed help with their financial strategy, but couldn't get the help they needed because they didn't reach the high investment minimums of many financial advisory firms. To answer this need, we developed Wella, a digital platform that allows us to help people just like you get free financial advice and tools to better manage their finances. We also offer online investing and the ability to work with your own investment advisor with no minimums. Learn more at yourwella.com. That's Y-O-U-R-W-E-L-A.com. All right. And we're back with Brooke Beach, the CEO of Kevy. Brooke, so Kevy is an ATV, right? Mm-hmm. So when when was Kevy? started and how did you guys wind up in ATV? Yeah, great question. We actually, so officially got started in 2012. Um, we were here in the building before ever began to, uh, see any renovations. So we were here when the carpet was still pink and the walls were still (laughs) this wonderful gray color. Um, So we have moved from floor to floor during every stage of renovation, which has been exciting and thrilling uh, to see the transformation of the village itself uh, and then our transformation within it. Yeah. So it must really work for you guys if you're willing to put up with all that reno and still try to work. Lots of hammering and nails. And at a certain point, I remember the ceiling kind of fell on top of us, but everyone was safe. Oh, that's good. (laughs) What value do you get out of being in a place like this? A ton of value. And I think that the value comes in rubbing elbows with people who can inspire you and challenge you, uh, help you solve problems in ways that you didn't really think because there's so many different people here from different walks of life, different backgrounds. They're doing different things. They're starting different types of companies and having that kind of diversity and variety in the place that you work, especially when you have a smaller startup uh, to say, hey, this we are a part of a bigger picture here. Um, and it gives you some exciting focus. And why Atlanta? I mean, aren't, aren't you mm. supposed to start a uh, startup in like San yeah. Francisco or something? That's what I was told. I didn't <laughs> quite, you know, go along with that memo, but Atlanta is exciting. I think it has access to everything that you need. Uh, It's growing. The startup scene is is thrilling. A lot of people are moving into Atlanta. This is my hometown anyway. Uh, so as soon as I started, you know, seeing the horizon of, hey, there, because I'm an entrepreneur at heart, uh, I've been a part of a lot of different startups. And so when I started seeing that horizon of this is where a new hub is going to be, there was no question in my mind that this is where we're going to stay. Yeah. So uh, how big are you guys right now? What's what's your employee size? Uh, we are hiring right now for sales. Yay. Less than um, that, people. Please. <laughs> yes. I'm looking for a killer 
sales executive. Okay. Um, so we're expanding which is very exciting news. Yeah. We've grown quickly. Hiring for a potential marketer uh, as well as a sales executive. Awesome. Mm-hmm. And, and in the sales executive, what I'm looking forward to is someone who, who understands sales, they're excited about it, but they also understand at least online retail or marketing um, because we take the position of being a consultant. So yes, we're, we're trying to sell you on Covey, but at the end of the day, we want to help you grow your business. You're all e-commerce experts. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. All right. So I imagine you have some technology folks on your team as well. Yes. Yes. We have a few. Okay. Mm-hmm. Just a few. And in hiring, you for sales, mm-hmm. in, in hiring for sales. hiring for sales. Talk to me about the, I mean, the strategy side of what you do. I mean, I imagine you say, we, you guys need strategy. They're like, well, we're doing email. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not strategy. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. how do you overcome that, that misunderstanding? Because I think a lot of people, don't, again, let's, we're making a list of all the things that confuse people in the marketplace. A lot of people don't know what strategy is. It's so, true. So how do you, how do you help someone who's, who's thinking tactics are actually strategy? How do you, how do you get them over that hump? Yeah, it's a lot of opening their eyes to what could be. Uh, so when you're positioning, you know, it's it, email is really important. Um, but let's talk first about your list and you kind of start small. And then as you start small and you talk about lists and segmentation and dynamic lists versus static lists and the things that you're able to do there, it, you start expanding their view. And then all of a sudden you can hear them on the phone or on the demo or while you're talking to them in person and their eyes get really big and you can hear in their voice, they're getting really excited because you just took them on a journey of, Hey, you're looking at this in a very tiny box. Let's break that apart and start looking at a bigger picture of all the different things that you are capable of as a marketer. And when you put the power back in their hands to achieve all these amazing things, they're excited and they feel like they have a partner to help guide them in this process. How do you keep them? Sometimes I know marketers, and I've certainly been guilty of this. I see all of these different options I have, mm-hmm. and I do them all. And you can almost <laughs> you can almost hyper target or go a yeah. little overboard. So, what are maybe some mistakes that you've seen, or some advice you have for e-commerce marketers on how to keep everything on an even keel and continuing to be uh, productive? Yeah, because you can get lost in the weeds. Mm-hmm. Um, it's sometimes difficult to see the forest among the trees when you're focusing very small. Um, so again, going back to that, you know, high level focus of what are the ultimate goals you're looking to achieve, and then what are the best tools to get there. Uh, so from that standpoint, you we give you the tools that you need from the email side to the pop-up side to the cart recovery side to the list side, but where should you start? And what does that starting place look like? And for the most part, it starts with what is your target customer? Uh, And then how can we differentiate between those target customers? Because if you have a niche, there's still niches within Within the niche. niche. Exactly. And so a lot of people say, well, we have one list because we're just selling outdoor stuff and everyone likes outdoors. Well, there are different categories within that. So how can we start to get to know your customers a little bit better? Um, And then each one of those niches, they talk differently and they expect messages differently. Then let's look at the strategy of how to engage them. It's a common issue that I deal with in all the interviews and conversations I have, because I interview people in a lot of different sectors from healthcare mm-hmm. technology to manufacturing to food processing to water, wastewater. I mean, I have a really interesting, diverse uh, set of conversations, but everyone's dealing with this idea of what in the heck do we do with all this data mm-hmm. that we're collecting? I And I often say this because it frankly translates across all these industries. We're pretty good at collecting data, 
But doing anything meaningful and actionable with it, we suck at that. Most organizations, in my opinion, do. And I imagine that's a, a challenge you face, too. I mean, a lot of your customers probably have probably a lot of data that, that they're not doing anything magical with. That they don't even realize. How, how do you help them figure out? Well, I guess there's two steps. If they're not collecting good data, how do you help them figure that problem out? And then once they have it, to doing something really special with it. Mm-hmm. I can't remember exactly who it says, but I remember reading a quote recently who's uh, a CEO of a Silicon Valley startup. And he said, feedback and data, it's fantastic of telling, about telling you what you're doing wrong, um, but it's terrible at telling you what you should do next. Mm-hmm. Oh, true. And that is something that we face all the time. And it looks differently among every single customer that we have. Uh, for the most part, we have two sides of the aisle, which is exactly what you alluded to. We have the people who aren't collecting anything and they're trapped because they don't know what they're supposed to be doing and the people who are collecting too much. And so we saw in the market when we started creating Kevy this issue with the fact that there are a lot of apps out there that are collecting data, but they don't tell you then what. What are you supposed to do with this data? What what can you do with this data? Um, so we decided we're going to break this up very, very succinctly and give snapshots of people. So we're housing all kinds of data in the back end, but the way that we're delivering it within the app is in a snapshot view, or we can go more robust with actual reporting. And so depending on what side of the aisle, we can either start them small and guide them into all of the data that they actually have access to, but might be overwhelming if we showed that to them first. Mm-hmm. Or from the other side of, hey, you guys are already doing a lot with your data, but Let's refine it. You have access to it all. It's all here in the same platform. And I think that is another thing that I'm seeing a trend of. There are so many different apps out there. So many different apps out there. We all know it. Age old story. Uh, How can you get all of that and aggregate it into one platform? And that's why we focus on the e-commerce marketing automation side rather than just email marketing. Because that's, again, one piece of a lot of different tools that are out there. And I I know for startups, uh, a lot of times you see that they pick that one portion and as they grow and as they get more funding, then they start getting bigger and bigger with Mm -hmm. their offering. So how were you able to develop such a robust solution and keep your messaging clear? Make sure you were still, you weren't doing a jack of all trades, master of none. How did you guys manage that? It's hard. It's very, yes, it is. It's, yes, it's, it is. It's not, I'd be lying if I said, oh, it's easy. We figured out a method. No, it is. I mean, it is a work in progress because we get fantastic requests all day long, every single day of, could you add this? It would be really great if we had access to this feature. And, and so there is a point where I believe startups can be too agile and they're always following that next shiny object of this customer wants this, let's put it in. And so it's yeah. very hard. And that's, you know, a, a big piece of my role is to balance the request coming in, the development that we're actually in progress with and our long-term goals of, hey, where do we want this product to be? What is the customer? What are Where's the actual market versus some of these one-offs? They sound really nice, but if we were trying to do them all, we would never finish anything. Mm-hmm. And it's hard when that's a, that's a big client. You know, if you're looking at it, it's hard to say we can't, even though it's a big one, but but you can't lose lose that focus. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. And I think also too, there's a big struggle, especially in the tech community of balancing being a sales organization versus a development organization. And there's always some tension and some pull there. You know, on one side of the bucket, you really want to grow and you want to grow fast. And a lot of people have runways. And so you're trying to account for that runway with increasing sales, but then you also are making some heavy demands on your development team and they're either going to be burnt out or frustrated or they're going to be chasing all these customer bugs or they're never going to be able to finish a project because you're telling them to do 24 things when they really need to at least finish that first thing. So I do think that there's a balance between that development organization and the sales organization and finding that balance is a work in progress and there's always ebb and flow there. 
Well, walk us through where Kevy is in this startup uh, uh, life cycle. I mean, are you in a beta phase and 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 with a few customers, or do you have a billion customers? Mm-hmm. Are you are you raising money? What well, talk us about where you are and all the startupy stuff? All the startupy stuff, all the fun <laughs> stuff. Yes, the runways. Um, we we're we're past beta at this point, so I would consider us a small business. Um, we're not looking to raise money, though. Uh, that's not always going to be off the table necessarily. Mm-hmm. So keeping an open mind there. Um, but we're doing well and we're growing. We grew a lot faster with this product than expected, uh, which is good. It's a very good place, but it's a lot of fun navigating how to maintain it and continue that growth and continue that momentum. So you're, I also, I don't know if you've noticed, but she is a female CEO (laughs) and in the tech space, um, so I noticed. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> Hard not to. What gave it away? <laughs> um, so, you know, how how are you, what do you think women need to do to be more involved in this? And how do we get more women to be entrepreneurs? Mm. I mean, this is my, my office is mostly men. ATV is a lot yes. of men. So how do we keep getting these women to, to think that way and, and f- get into this industry? Uh, I heard that there are more female entrepreneurs than male entrepreneurs, but typically they're in the service industry. So agencies and the service side of things. So there is, women do, and they are entrepreneurs. Um, it's just not necessarily has infiltrated into the tech scene yet. And I think that there's, there is some hesitancy there because it has been predominantly dominated by males, but there's also a lot more risk involved. And so for a woman looking at it saying, hey, I'm going to start a service industry, you can grow that and scale that Uh a little bit slower on your own terms where it's kind of an all in for tech. Um, And so based on some of the conversations I've had, which is fascinating um, to hear that take on it because it's, it's a little bit newer in my Mm -hmm. opinion to me to hear that there is more risk. And so I think that that has something to do with it. Um, But I think it's also, I don't think it's lack of opportunity. I think that there is opportunity and I think it's there and I don't want to give the message of, Oh, there's not opportunity. There is. It's just a matter of putting that foot forward and saying, Hey, I'm willing to do this and I want to get started Uh, because there are tons of organizations and people out there that are extremely supportive of women uh, in the tech space and being entrepreneurs. And so it's a matter of seeking that out and finding a network of women who are going to support you with that. And also men, um, you know, it's funny, uh, Ashley. I have a, a, a client on uh, on my radio network, and she's a lady with a, a very successful. Does a lot of contributing, like CNN and those kinds of things. And she contends that the best way to serve your customer is to be empathetic towards them. Mm-hmm. And yep. if you achieve that, and if you do that, boy, then you're at a real advantage. And her point is, women, women are, are a lot better yeah. at being empathetic than men. Yeah. And it's, and it's, she said it's a big advantage for us. And, and smack on the forehead why are we taking a better advantage of that you know yeah. so and it's interesting to see if that if that plays out over time speaking mm-hmm. of playing out over time Brooke uh, part of your role as a CEO is to is to have a vision for the company and where it's going so when we talk to you in a couple of years time where do you think Kevy will be? I want it to be the largest <laughs> e-commerce marketing automation out there give you the you know standard answer um, but I think that it's we're very capable of doing that. There's there's a gap right now in what we're doing and we're seeing that a lot. Uh, so in some ways we're ahead of the market, which has its own challenges because it, sometimes it's easier to say, oh, you're on a competitor. Here's why we're better. And they already see a need for it. When it's something that's relatively new, they might not see a need for it yet. Uh, so in some ways I think we're ahead of the market, but it's a it's, it's going to hit very soon. Uh, and people are going to realize, oh, there are a lot of opportunities out there for me as a marketer in this online retail space. Um, so in a few years, uh, I think that we will be one of the largest companies here in Atlanta for this space. 
Now she is hiring, so we might want to yeah. think about that. Okay. Right. <laughs> don't, don't right. well, Brooke, I hate to say it. Uh, we might have to have you back on the show because there's a lot more marketing stuff we could be talking about. And I still would love to dive into the strategy side of this thing more. But for now, we're running low on time. Before I do let you go, one more final piece of mm-hmm. business. I think you're aware that this show is made possible by Wella. Mm-hmm. And we're broadcasting from their offices. Uh, so it's time for the Wella question of the week, which is, what is the best piece of financial advice you have ever received or given? Uh, I remember reading Robert Kawasaki book not too long ago, or I, I guess it was a very long time ago. Uh, but he said, pay yourself first. Uh, and, and I really like that it stuck with me because, you know, so often you're scrambling of hey, a lot of things need to get done. Um, but if you're, if you're focused on saving first, uh, and have your priorities straight financially, then you're not going to get caught up in some of the materialism that a lot of people think is important. Yeah. That's yeah, good advice. Mm-hmm, it's actually. definitely good. All right. Well, Brooke, I hate to say it. We are now out of time. Before I let you go, how can people contact you? Should they have questions and where can they learn more about Kevy? Absolutely. Uh, they can email us at info at kevy.com uh, and that all gets forwarded on to me. Uh, and if they have any questions, we would love to hear from them. Love to hear about their struggles as online retailers, their opportunities, uh, anything that involves this marketing journey because it is always evolving. Uh, so I can leave my information to you, I believe online uh, as well, but info at kevy.com and then call us directly at 404-860-2255. And I would love to hear your stories. All right. Brooke Beach, the CEO of Kevy. Great to have you. Thanks again for stopping by and joining us. Thank you. All right. Well, that wraps this episode of The Incubator. Again, on behalf of our guest, Brooke Beach, my co-host, Ashley Staggs, I am Todd Schnick. We'll see you next week in The Incubator. You've been listening to The Incubator, recorded from the Wella offices, direct from the Atlanta Tech Village. This broadcast is a partnership between the Intrepid Now Media Network and Hypopotamus, and made possible by Wella, helping you on your financial journey every step of the way. The Incubator is directed by Andrea Risk and produced by Floyd Fischel. You can find The Incubator on iTunes, and leaving a rating and review on iTunes will be appreciated by all. Again, you've been listening to The Incubator. The show will return next week. We'll see you then.